Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Last week, we talked about a story that Lane did in a couple of days. This week, we're going to focus on a project that took months. This story also ran recently, and we'll include the link when we release the podcast so you can read it in its entirety. The topic, none of these babies should have died. Here's Lane with how the story starts. The worst day of her life started out wonderful. A bright morning in May 2015. A Thursday. It was bliss, Marti Gonzalez said, wiping her eyes. A perfectly ordinary, perfect day. While her husband was at work at a data center in Tampa and her older son was at preschool, Marti, then 41, got to spend a few quiet hours in their St. Petersburg home with her baby. Patrick was two months old. A big chunk of a kid, Marty said, almost 15 pounds. Calm and watchful, he seemed to take in everything around him. He had a strong kick and was starting to lift his head. He loved being cradled in his mother's arms. Marty bathed her baby that morning, fastened on a clean diaper, and dressed him in a new onesie with black and white stripes. She slicked back his shock of dark hair. He looked so cute she took a photo of him, staring up at her with those wide blue eyes and what looked like, maybe start of a smile. About 10.30 a.m., Marty fed Patrick and carried him into the new nursery. The crib had a full mattress, fitted sheet, and a bright blue gator's pillow. Marty had put the pillow at the bottom of the crib so Patrick would have something to look at, but couldn't roll into it. She kissed his forehead and lay him on his stomach. She knew some people said you should place infants on their backs to sleep, but her older son had always slept on his stomach, and Patrick seemed to sleep better that way, too. So he lay with his head turned to the right, facing the window. While Patrick slept, Martine made lunch for her three-year-old, Augie. She was grateful to have maternity leave from her job as a writer for AAA, to have time to focus on her boys. Her mom brought Augie home about noon, then Martine and Augie made cupcakes. A perfect day, she said. Augie went down for a nap around 1 p.m. Martine gathered the laundry, got the baby monitor from her bedroom, and clipped it to her belt so she could hear Patrick over the roar of the dryer. She was glad he was sleeping for so long. Just after 2 p.m., she put in another load of clothes, then went back to check on her boys. Augie was in his corner room, sleeping beneath his posters of Herbie the Love Bug. Patrick was in the same position she had left him. But he was too still. His tiny fingers were blue. When she touched his hand, it was cold. Her screams woke Augie, who ran into the room. She stumbled through the house, searching for her phone, then opened the front door and ran into the street, wailing, My baby's not breathing. A neighbor came over and swooped away Augie. Marty finally found her cell and called 911. 
The operator told her to try chest compressions. She scooped Patrick from his crib and began CPR. Soon, paramedics took over. But I knew, Marty said. I just knew. One of the paramedics asked how her baby had been sleeping. When I said, on his stomach, everyone gasped, she said, like they knew then that it was all my fault. I'd killed my son. The last time Marty saw her baby, he was strapped to a gurney, his eyes closed to the sunlight as he was wheeled into an ambulance. Marty called her husband. Meet me at the hospital. Patrick's not breathing. All the way there, over the bridge across Tampa Bay, Henry Gonzalez begged God, please, don't let this happen. The fire chief drove Marty to All Children's Hospital. There she met her husband and a team of detectives. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're talking about uh, a project that we recently published, um, and it was about uh, baby deaths, um, but it also was about this debate uh, that apparently has been going on in the medical community over whether children, uh, newborns like this, uh, are dying of sudden infant death syndrome, which has been around for 50 years as a thing that people reference, uh, or as whether, as the Pinellas County Medical Examiner has been saying for 20 years, that's not a thing. Um, what happens is that children suffocate when they're sleeping with their parents or they're put on their belly and, and they can't get enough air or, you know, they're in blankets or whatever. So it's um, it's this debate and, and it's going, it's worldwide and uh, Canada has stopped referencing SIDS and, um, but there are researchers who are still studying SIDS and whether some of these kids have a tendency, you know, whether there's some things that are happening um, that, that cause some kids to be more susceptible. And in the middle of all that are, of course, these families who, um, uh, it's just heartbreaking. And uh, in this story, Lane was able to track down three families that would talk to her. And so we, the Gonzaleses are the main family, and then we weave in a couple other families. It's a, it's a very um, sad story, um, but an important story. And I think we felt like that we had to tell it because, there, there's certainly this, this, this argument to be made that there needs to be more awareness around it. Uh, but let's start to, by talking about guilt. I mean, how, how hard it is to try to get people to tell the most painful thing that's ever happened to them. Like, why open that wound? So, I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, the story started out, I, I have a really, um, a really good source who's worked in foster care and adoptions, and now she works for the Juvenile Welfare Board. And um, she was telling me that, that they're, their big uh, education campaign for last year was when it started was sleep your baby safely. And the number one cause of death of infants in Pinellas County was co-sleeping, that babies died in their parents' bed more often than anywhere else. And that, that hit home for a couple of reasons. Um, I slept with my boys when they were little, not, you know, not 
knowing that was a danger. Uh, and then and we put them between foam bumpers in their crib because that was what the pediatrician said. So, you know, it, it was one of those things like, but for the grace of God, you know, that totally could have happened. I felt like it was such a blameless death, but the parents were getting blamed for this. Um, that's why I chose to end the first section with the detectives instead of the baby being taken away in the ambulance because the whole idea of, like, you're being investigated as the murderer, basically, right. of your child. Um so, yeah, but I knew we talked from the beginning. You're going to need some families to round this out. You can't just talk about this campaign. So Because those stories are boring and have been done. I right, mean, and it's a sort public of like, service announcement. Right, it's, it's like, what it is. Right, exactly. and, and so it, it also really changed the story when I got the parents to talk to me because whereas the medical examiner, who's not a doctor, he's an examiner, um, thinks there's no such thing, a lot of these parents either believe or really, really want to believe that it's something mysterious that nobody could have prevented, that they didn't have anything to do with it. You know, so that, I think, really changed the, the tenor of the story. But we, um, we started out by, there were 100 deaths in the last 10 years in Pinellas County, so we did a Freedom of Information Act and got the autopsy and the police report for each one of those deaths. And then with Maria's help... Something very difficult for me. I made a spreadsheet. I made a database, and we wanted to. This track. is her first <laughs> database story. It's so exciting. I never even knew how to do that in Google Spreadsheets or whatever. So, so we we labeled the deaths, and and we could categorize them then by you know where did the babies die? How old were the babies when they died? What was in their crib when they died? Um, were the parents drinking, or, or were the were the babies addicted to something when they were born? You know, what are all the factors so that we could call through and, and see what kind of pattern there was or what factors there were. And then I sent out 100 certified letters um, to all a of A very nice letter. And, uh, a, a I very worked on that letter for an entire day. I think you and I worked on that letter. Like, dear parent, I know your baby's dead. Talk to me. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's such an awful it wasn't thing that. to write. It's like, it, it was and horrible. That, and you know, we were ta- you, we, you talk a lot about how, you, you know, your pitch to people, you know, what, what's in it for them. And, that you, and so you worked hard on that pitch you know what and and it really with the letter it was a lot of just let me come talk to you because it's like I'm not gonna probably convince you with this letter but just just let me come talk talk about talking to me yeah Yeah. talk about talking and it's not I I think there was something in there but it's I know it's not going to bring back your child but it might help save another you know like let's touch on people what what positive could come from reliving the worst day of their life you know um, so those certified letters. So 100 certified letters. I think 57 of them came back, which also shows that, you know, people don't stay where they where they were. They're a lot of transient. Um, but three families agreed to talk to me, um, surprisingly. Well, and one called you. Talk about, so one called you to find out how you knew about them, right? And was kind of like just freaked out. Angry. That, yeah. yeah. How did I get their name and number? Why? How dare I make their wife upset again and, and reopen this wound? So that guy didn't talk to me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so three of them, I mean, I, we were hoping to get a couple, and I, I think three was good, and they were all a little bit different circumstances. You know, um, Marty's baby was on his belly. Um, another baby was with his mother. The mother rolled over on the baby, and then the third one was in his crib with a bottle, in his bassinet with a bottle. So different situations, you know, different circumstances. And we um, we did try, guys, to we – we, we did – we – recorded our coaching session. So when Lane had done her reporting and we were sitting down to talk about the structure of this story, we recorded it and that session went on for more than an hour. Um, but and we were thinking that that would become a podcast, but it was so meandering and we ended up changing the outline anyway, that we just decided we'll do that some other time just because we thought it might be fun to, to not only, re- you know, have us go back and forth like we do with a typical story, but, but with this story, we'll, 
we're, we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that, that we debated. So we obviously we have three families. We're trying to figure out how to put those families, how to how to go seamlessly through the story, what context that we need to get in there. Um, we talked a lot about why are we doing this story? <laughs> you know, what's um, what good could come of it? Yeah, exactly. And I think it it is. We kept coming back to the sort of feeling of a cautionary tale, um, and um, and also the I mean medical. medical discussions like this are interesting. Like, you know, is it a thing? I mean, people have been uh, referencing SIDS forever. And and like you said, some of these families are like, that's what you hold on to, that it is something like that that you couldn't possibly control. So um, we talked about at the beginning that, you know, there's no mystery here. These children are are dead, and we're not going to try to play a story that makes you think, oh, something bad isn't going to happen here, right? Um, the mystery is, why are they dead? You know, what killed them? Um, so, and then, I, so we had a couple of families that we were debating which one would be the better start and stop and talk a little bit about about Marty and why why you leaned that way. Well, I also should say I've had a couple of reporters and friends say, why did you do three families? They would have just rather seen it with just one, with Marty. So, I mean, that could have been a decision or we could have made the other families sidebars, you know, I, I felt like it, it gave more universality to say these are three different ways that these babies died. But, um, yeah, Marty, so the, the one woman we were thinking about starting with was not home when it happened. She was in the hospital still recovering from a C-section infection. And we thought about starting with her, but she wasn't there. She had some good moments. She had, in, they in, all as did. A, as a, yeah, a powerful moment when she realized her child was dead, but. Right. And, uh, but, you know, Marty was right there and, and he died on her watch. And I think she felt the gravity of that um, responsibility a lot more than the woman who wasn't there when it happened. You know, her regret was, why wasn't I there? It wouldn't have happened if I was there. Whereas Marty was like completely blaming herself, you know, that it was on my watch that this happened. Um, and the, the way she described that day too, just the ordinariness of that day, I just felt like any mother, any parent could relate to that. You, you finally put your baby down for a nap and, ooh, you can do anything you want. Oh, you do the laundry, you know, right. you carry your monitor around so you're still being responsible. Um, it, it just felt like about as out of the blue as it could come for her. I, I think you, when you came back from meeting her the first time, um, you clearly connected. In the, not just as connected as a reporter with a, a subject who is, um, she was a good storyteller. She's a writer herself. Um, you know, she could give you details that, you know, clearly you felt like, oh, she's giving me a lot to work with. But also I think you connected on that personal level of, yeah, there, but for the grace of God, go when I, you know, I mean, like that could easily have been me. I would might have easily done the same thing. Um, Absolutely. And, and she had also done a little bit of research about SIDS. You know, the other people had kind of looked it up when they, they thought. But they kind of dismissed it. But just, oh, the baby's gone. What difference does it make? And she had reached out to the SIDS Alliance um, in Florida, which gave the story kind of a whole new turn because at that the woman who I interviewed from the Alliance was like, well, there are these researchers at Boston Hospital who are still researching this. So all of a sudden it wasn't just parents saying, oh, it couldn't be my fault. You know, let me believe in this mysterious thing. It's Boston Children's Hospital doctors spending their career looking for saying to say if this is a thing or not. So I think that really helped the story. It helped mm-hmm. show the other side. Um, our medical examiner was so cut and dry about there's no such thing. Let's don't put it on the autopsy. And he's campaigning around the state to try to get other people not to put that on the autopsy. Um, whereas here there's this team of researchers still spending millions of dollars looking for a cause. 
um, one of the nice things about this story um, was that Marty um, actually was willing to to be a subject of this story, partly because she had followed your career. Now that, to me, like, what a gift, right? That she um, she had been reading Lane to Gregory for 20 years. And so she thought, oh, I can trust. I know what kind of Lane to Gregory stories are like. I know what they're like. I know that I could trust what she does with it, which is, I know you were really touched by that when, when you came back and she was like, and I was like, wow, that, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, she said, I, I think I saw you at Pointer like 12 years ago when you didn't even get talk, you know. So it made it personal, but it also made me feel a lot more responsible to not right. get it wrong, um, um, to not re-victimize her anymore than I already had. I mean, I kept apologizing for that, I, and I think reporters, we often feel that guilt, but it's okay to say that too. Like, I'm so sorry to put you through this again. I really feel bad putting you through this again, you know. I can't imagine what this is like for you, you know, and giving them that permission. Um, and maybe the best thing that happened after the story came out was she sent me a little thank you note, a text, and said, you know, this was really, really hard, and my mother didn't want me to do it, and it hurt Henry and I to the core to do it again, but I'm glad I did, you know, and that, that felt good because I carry a lot of guilt for putting them through this again, you know. It, it, um, I mean, you know, it's, they had their son for such a short period of time that it's, you know, he's, I mean, the good side is too, you get to think about him in, in not just big, and I think, you know, um, as you'll see, if you look up the story online, one of the things that we did to try to weave these families in that Lane used their names as uh, kind of subheads. So, you know, when you're switching gears, but, but she also like, she embraced, as you saw in the beginning that, especially in the, in the Gonzalez case, this was a really good day until it was a horrible day. And these other parents, even though they were different situations, they clearly loved their children. You know, they were not, I mean, these were not some of the worst cases, you know, clearly, you know, they investigate these cases and sometimes you do find parents who are neglectful and stuff. These are people who were trying to do the right thing. I mean, you know. I I think it helped they all had other children too. It wasn't just the one child that they had lost. They had someone still to love and to cling to, you know. And and, and Marty did say that too, you know, in a way, they, they talk about him, but like to bring him back to life for a little bit was, you know, I think it was helpful, but it was nice to, to keep his memory alive. We, um, and I, I think we've talked about this here and there, but you, we gave her a chance to read it. Um, we gave the Gonzaleses a chance to read it. They were the main thread through the story. The other two families are quick sections in and out, and then Lane did a very effective epilogue, I think, to kind of tell you what, what's happened in the years since. Um Normally, of course, we don't allow people to read stories, and we certainly don't allow people to make changes in stories. Um, but I, I know it's just in a couple years I've been here and working with you. We've had a few times where it's like, you, you know, you, you're really asking a lot of these people. They are cutting themselves open, basically, and sharing with you this really painful, the worst day of their lives. And you're about to put it online, and the whole world's about to see their story and they will, they're going to relive it all again. And, um, it, it feels responsible to have a moment where you say to them, okay, you don't get to edit this story, but we want you to read this story. So you're prepared. And, and yes, if you see anything that's wrong, if you see a reference that's wrong or anything like that, please tell us, we'll fix that. Um, and any context that you think is missing, but, um, 
we've, I, I don't think I've ever had a bad situation with that. Have you like where you let somebody read it? And, th- and we didn't with this family. They were very kind. They took their time. Lane goes over there, hands them the copy of the story, and then goes, goes, where'd you go? You went well, to a diner. Diet Coke at a diner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> About three Diet Cokes at a diner. Of course, diner. <laughs> more Diet Coke. Um, and just wait and then come back and give them a chance to sort of express. And, you know, I, I don't know how the rest of y'all feel. You know, we live in a really, the, the internet is, is intrusive. I mean, if you're, if you're ever written about, it's there, it's always there. And this, this will be there forever for them. I mean, I, unless our links break, which could happen. Um, but you know, so I, yeah, all their family members, all their friends, all, all, this is sort of revisiting this pain for all of them. So. Well, and it's also that final check. I think that both, I, I know I do is what if I was that person I was writing about? What would I want? I would so want the writer to give me the chance to see that story before it came out, you know. And it also makes me a little bit more relieved that I didn't get anything wrong. You know, you don't have that trepidation right before the story comes out. Like, what did I screw up? You know what I mean? Um, Marty is a writer herself, and and she was very cognizant of the comments, too. Like, I'll often tell people, like, don't read the comments online. You know, it's going to upset you if you read from our some of our trolley commenters. Um, She had a friend at work say... Don't look at it online. I'll read the com- the good comments to you. You know, one of her friends was willing to play that That's role, nice. which I thought was really interesting too. you know, protect her from that. Um, Lane and I both used to work for a managing editor named Dennis Hardig, who, who one of his pieces of advice was always to to um, think about whoever you're writing as if it was your mother. And if it was your mother, how would you treat her? This may be good and bad for people, but like, how would you, what kind of respect would you show? You know, what would you do? And, 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 and even in the phrasing, uh, the things that you rate, you know, um, keep in mind how, yeah, you, 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 we certainly didn't want to add more pain to their pain. Right. And and Marty also, you know, she she helped us with the SIDS piece of it, that, that that was still a thing which changed the direction of the story. But she also wanted people to know how she felt she'd been mistreated by the detectives, like on the worst day of her life when she... They're, they're telling right. her she's a murderer. She's coming home to crime scene tape. They're taking photographs of her refrigerator, you know, and, and how that felt, because that's a piece of the story. None of us, I didn't know that that was what happened, you know, after right. a and baby that her, dies. And then, then they're w- wondering whether she's really taking care of her other son and, and all of that. Right. They come to investigate her, her three-year-old at that time. And she's terrified still that he might like fall in the playground and hurt himself. And they think he, he, that they've abused him somehow. So that fear hasn't left in five years for her. And that, that tension, too, of the, the, you know, the people in Pinellas County had such a hard line. I mean, they just don't, there's, the, I, I mean, not only do they not think SIDS is a thing, and they, and of course, as Lane said, they, part of their eagerness to work with us was to get a story out there that says, hey, this is all your fault. <laughs> but, right. but, I mean, they go out, and, and when something like this happens, they basically, um, they're very abrupt and they're very direct because they say they they know a lot of these people will have other children or have other children and they want to make sure they see it as they're saving lives. But it's a really hard thing to, you know, I mean, like just it does feel kind of cold. I mean, you can understand it on one level if you're investigating a child's death. You well, wouldn't want them not to investigate a child's death. But at the same time, this poor woman just, it sounded, I was so... It's shattering. Absolutely. And, and no, none of the people, none of the parents I talked to said they wished the police hadn't investigated. They just said, if why couldn't there be good cop, bad cop? You know, why couldn't there be one person consoling them and helping get them through their grief or some kind of social work going on while the other person was saying, hmm, what did you do? And you know what I mean? Right. So I, I, 
I know that all the first responders, it's all well-intentioned, but also putting yourself in those parents' shoes and just trying to imagine what that's like after the most devastating thing in the world happens, and then they're going to blame you, you know. All right. If you have a question for Lane about this story, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Don't forget, we'll link to the whole story. It, we couldn't have read it on the podcast or you'd be listening for another, uh, who knows? 22-minute read. <laughs> Is it a 22-minute read? Okay, it's a 22-minute read. That's what the website says. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't forget, we now have a Right Lane group on Facebook. Find us there. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Marta Asensio Ryan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.